So there you have it, friends. The inevitable has come, tax day, April 15th. It's, at least it's not death day, but those are the two things that are inevitable. But because we are here and millions of other people are gathered in places like this all over the nation, we have a day of reprieve. So it's put back one day. The government still recognizes the value of the faith. But then, because we live in Taxachusetts, there's an extra day for Patriots Day, so it doesn't have to be the 17th. Hey, I've always lived in Massachusetts, except for a short time when I was at seminary. I grew up in Worcester, and I grew up in the house that, uh, that I now live in on Berwick Street, and that's a picture of me at age three. I'm the one on the left, in case you get confused. And uh, it was a great, great life. Uh, I had great parents. They took care of me. There was no question that they loved me. But all the way through, I sort of had this funny sense. I really didn't know who I was or kind of what was expected of me. Um, and it wasn't just because I've always been a hapless Red Sox fan. Uh, I can remember the Red Sox really stunk. Or, or is it stank? Or is it they stinked? Or in the King James, they stinketh. But in any event, they were bad. I can remember when they were 2-12, and 12, not 12-2. and two. Um, but I, I, just, I just was kind of, yeah, just sort of uh, at, at odds with myself. And it may have had something to do with the fact that my dad grew up in an alcoholic household, which was a pretty violent place, an unpredictable place. And so when he got out of that system, he vowed that that would never be the case in his family. And so our family was very much everything on the lid, you know, lidded. And, and so no ups, no downs, just kind of flat. Uh, it was supposedly fine. And in his system, when he was brought up, because of the chaos in his household, his parents basically let him do whatever he wanted. And being a moral kind of guy, which he was, uh, he loved that. And he sort of developed his own way of doing things and became a very upright, upstanding citizen. And so he thought, as a father, that's what I want to do for my kids. It worked for one of our brothers, but for two of us, it, it made us just super anxious because we didn't know what was expected of us. And nothing was passed on to us. It was kind of like we had to figure things out for ourselves. That was, you know, it was, it was a good plan, but just didn't work uh, for me. And so the result was that by the time I got into adolescence, I not only sported ridiculous clothes like you're looking at right now, um, I was uncertain about what it meant to be a guy and, and how to deal with relationships, particularly relationships with the other sex. And so by the time I met the woman of my life, Hallie, even though we both had great hair, and we also were following Jesus Christ as Lord, I really didn't have a clue of what it meant to be a man, to be a boyfriend, to be a husband or a father. What I was really desperate for all the way along was a mentor, an experienced and trusted advisor who could kind of show me the ropes, and particularly uh, as I got to follow Jesus, an advisor in the Lord. So what I really needed was somebody like a guy named Mordecai. Now he's a hero in the Old Testament book of Esther. He's one of those best supporting actors that we've been going to be talking about all during this spring, these lesser known characters of the Bible. Last week, Paul Joyle shared with us about Ruth. Now, she has a Bible book named after her, but still, she's not somebody that everybody knows about. She was a Moabite woman who had an adventurous faith that led her to follow her mother-in-law, Naomi, both of them widows, to go back to Israel to find food. While there, Ruth developed a life of real significance, which ultimately led to her becoming a part 
of the redemptive history of Israel through a much later descendant named Jesus of Nazareth. Mordecai also did the same kind of thing. He became part of God's redemptive plan uh, through his mentoring of his niece named Esther, the one who was, the book is named after her. She was a Babylonian queen who rescued the people of God from genocide. Now, I think it's great that, in a sense, these first two weeks, we have two women who are heroes. Because there are a lot of guys in the Bible who are heroic, but there are a lot of wonderful women as well. The story of Esther is the story of a very, very good woman. She was a Jew, a young Jewish woman in exile in Babylon, who was surprisingly chosen by the Babylonian king to be his queen. Now, he didn't know that she was Jewish. She kept that from those people because they were afraid of what they might do if they found out that she was a foreigner. This alien, who also was an orphan, she became a really good queen. And by God's grace, she managed to thwart a wicked courtier named Haman, who out of jealousy of Esther's uncle Mordecai, encourages Esther's husband, the king, to decree that not only Mordecai, but all of his people, the Jews, would be exterminated. And so Esther, as the queen, was presented with a dilemma. What is she going to do? And so she defied convention by going into the king's chambers to request a way of changing this decree so that the Jews would live. And she sought a way secretly to reverse Haman's plot so that this would happen. And she succeeded in wonderful and spectacular fashion. And Haman turned out to be executed instead of the Jews. And she goes on to be a very good leader, not only of her faith people, the Jews, but also of her nation people, the Babylonians. Now every year in March, Jewish people tell the story of Esther, a story of deliverance, because for Jewish people, there have been people all the way through history who've tried to wipe them out. Even today, they are surrounded by neighbors who want to see them gone. And so this is a very important story of how this first attempt to wipe out the people of God was thwarted. And they tell it every year in the Feast of Purim, which this year was March 20th and 21st. And they often act it out with various people playing the parts. And people are encouraged to boo and to hiss and stomp their feet when they hear the name Haman and to cheer at the mention of the name Esther and Mordecai. You're welcome to do so if you wish. <laughs> so Mordecai, yay! He is only a supporting actor in the story, but his presence is essential to Esther, yay, the king, in being able to play her role in history. He is her mentor. And at key points, he encourages and assists and guides her how she can follow God's plan in this unusual position that she is, being queen of these foreign people. Now, that's always true that in matters of faith and destiny, it's surely true that in God's plan, behind every good man or woman, there are equally good women or men who serve as mentors and guides to the main actor. So what are the characteristics of a good mentor which we see in Mordecai? Let's take a look in the book titled After His Niece, Esther, yay. Page 354, if you're looking on in the church Bible in front of you. Now, to sum it up, he's a good man. He's a man of integrity and honor, of mercy and truth. He's a godly mentor. He encourages others, and particularly his niece in the Lord. And he has a great legacy because he changed lives and saved lives and changed history itself. He is the example of the good mentor. 
He is a good man. He demonstrates this throughout his life. First of all, when he adopts this niece who is orphaned. Now at this time, basically the nation of Israel was falling apart. The kingdom of Judah was done. The last part of Israel was taken over by Babylon and there was a mess in the land of Israel. Things were destroyed, people were killed and I assume it was at that point that Esther's parents were executed. We don't really know. But there were a lot of children who were orphans and there were a lot of people who were running for their lives. And there were some people who were gathered up by the Babylonians, the best of the best, to take them back and to add to their kind of knowledge and database. And among them was Mordecai. Now Mordecai, don't know what happened to him uh, and his family, but if I were he, I might have been tempted to think, look, I got enough trouble in my life without dealing with a little kid here. But instead he did the right thing. He took Esther and kind of brought her under his wing and adopted her and brought her along to Babylon as well. We read that in chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. And then as he was there, he kind of rose in the ranks because of his fine behavior. Even though these people had taken his people, nonetheless, he was obeying a kind of a direction from the prophet Jeremiah, which was that you need to settle down and to raise families and and to bless the people who have taken you into exile because you're going to be there for a while. Uh, They were going to be there for a long time. And, And so he served in the king's kind of employ And at one point, he saved the king from assassination. In in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 2, he overhears a plot by two guys who were upset with the king. They wanted to assassinate him, and he brought it to the attention of the king and saved his life. And, And so he was a faithful man. He was a good man who served God and his people and his adopted nation throughout his life. In fact, at the very end of the book in chapter 10, And this is something that often happens in stories like this. You'll see this in other books in the Bible. It kind of sums things up. And so it says that King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores and all of his acts and powers and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai. That's the interesting part. That not only the the acts of the king were recorded, as it says, in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia, but the good deeds of Mordecai were remembered there by the Babylonians. And it goes on to say, Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes. He was preeminent among the Jews. And he was held in high esteem by many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people. Not only his people Israel, but his people Babylon. And he spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. He was a good, good man. Now as I think of him, I think of one of the people that really was my first mentor. His name was Dick, Dick Marks. He worked for the YMCA in Westfield, Massachusetts, also as a volunteer. He led the Young Life Club, and Young Life is a ministry that works in high school uh, environments to try to encourage kids to follow Jesus Christ and to come together. And uh, I decided to volunteer with that thing uh, when I was out of college. It wasn't much after that uh, picture of Hallie and me in front of the VW bus. And he was just a good guy. He was a good man. He loved Jesus Christ. He loved his wife. He loved his children. And I had never seen that picture before because I didn't grow up in a Bible-believing home and neither did my wife. So this was like a revelation to me. And I remember just watching him as he went about doing his regular life. He was also a great guy at the Y. They loved him at the Y. And yet he was very clear about being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He was my first mentor. Dick's goodness 
and that of a good mentor like Mordecai. It's best described in Acts 2.47, which was the description of the people of God in the early years. It says they were praising God and they were having favor with all the people. That's the kind of people that are the good people that you need to be following. It's people who not only have a thing going with God, but they do it in such a way that others are drawn to them are drawn to the life and love of God that is within them. He was a good man. He was also a godly mentor. He was drawing Esther into the life of the Lord. Because again, this was a chaotic time. They had no, they had no uh, clergy. They had no places to gather to worship. They were exiles. They were in dispersion. They couldn't gather because that would have been seen as a threat to the king and his empire and whatever his religion was. And so it was up to people like Mordecai to communicate to the next generation what was going on. If you look back in chapter 2, uh, verse 20, you note that Mordecai was constantly instructing Esther in various aspects of life. He did that from the very earliest age, and it was part of what he passed along to her, this life with God, what it meant to be a follower with God in the midst of a people that did not follow God. His instructions is what it speaks about constantly there. But he also continued to guide Esther once she grew up, obviously not giving her instruction, but giving her guidance through crises that she had. Now, particularly once she was chosen to be queen, and she found out about this plot that the wicked Haman, boo, his wicked Haman, bad boy, had decided he wanted to exterminate all the Jews, she found out about it. But politically, she had nothing that she could do about it because she was powerless. The king was supreme, and his edict was supreme. Once he decreed something, as he did in this case, it was done. So she was going to have to go against convention to somehow approach this king to tell him, if you will, that he was wrong. She had to figure out even how to get into his presence because you could not get into the presence of the king unless you had been invited. And so she communicated to Mordecai when she found out what was going on, and he knew about the plot too. She said, I'm sorry, I can't do anything. And so Mordecai guided her through this crisis. In chapter 4 and verse 12, he said this. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance from the Jews will come from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? But that you have come into this royal position for such a time as this. Now again, it was crazy that this Babylonian king would choose this Jewish woman to be his queen, even though he didn't know she was Jewish at that point. It was like, uh, think of that. Well, what Mordecai was doing with Esther was saying to her, I think God's hand was in this. You've been chosen queen, not just so you can have a great life, but so that you can be the savior of God's people because these people surely will eventually want to kill us. And so she was. And he guided her into moving in that direction for such a time as this. But he also respected Queen Esther. He respected her judgment in things, as she was technically his leader now. And verses 15 to 17 records how he carried out Esther's instructions of what he should do now in order to assist her in her plan to try to thwart this genocide. It's said that he carried out Esther's instructions, including an appeal to fasting and prayer for her. So you see how he had mentored her along, that she 
continued to have this faith in God in the midst of this ungodly system into which she had been called. You know, as I think about this godly mentor thing, I think about a guy in my life named Doug. Doug is an older husband and father whom I met at a family camp that my family went and that he was leading. And can I recommend family camp? If you ever have an opportunity to go to one of those? Christian family camp, it's an amazing time for you. And if you have others in your family, it's just, a, it's just a wonderful time to grow close to the Lord. But he was a guy that I was immediately drawn to because he had daughters and I had daughters. And they were slightly older than my daughters. And so whenever I get together with Doug, I'd say, Doug, what's coming up with my daughters? What do I need to know? And he'd give me some little kind of pointers and hints and uh, I was just so grateful for him and I continue to be grateful for his influence in my life. And right now we share something that's not great. Both of our wives have diseases with terminal uh, designations on them. They're terminally ill. And so again, I kind of looked to him to say, Doug, how, how do I do this? And he's looking to me, how, how do we do this kind of thing together? It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to have a man or a woman in your life who can walk with you through those kinds of things. So I wonder if you're now thinking about somebody who's been in your life uh, who might have fulfilled a role such as that. Uh, if you find somebody, consider yourself very, very blessed. If you don't, then maybe this is something you can be looking for, as I was looking for somebody like this in my life. And God will surely send that person to you because this is how the faith gets developed and transmitted. And, and Mordecai, he he's also has a great legacy. He fulfills his destiny as a man of God, I think, in his being mentor to Esther. His good deeds are recognized and honored. In fact, there's a story here in chapter 6 that's kind of crazy. Uh, the king, in the middle of the night, can't sleep. So uh, as a king, he's a little weird. He gets up and says, hey, somebody, bring me the history of the kingdom and read it to me. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was reading history, that would surely put me to sleep, but maybe that's what he was thinking of. But as they're reading the story, he hears the story of how Mordecai saved his life. He'd forgotten about that, and he goes, yeah, I remember that. And he said, didn't we do anything good for that guy in saving my life? And they said, no, we didn't do anything. So he arranges to have Mordecai paraded through the street. Now, the wicked and evil Haman, he misinterprets what the king was saying when he said to Haman, I want to honor somebody, and he thinks it's honoring him. And instead, the wicked Haman has to take Mordecai through the streets and parade him around as the one whom the king wants to honor. He has a great legacy. His deeds are recognized and honored. His character is noted and respected. There was a celebration after the people of God were delivered from this edict of genocide. And there was all this kind of thing, that uh, celebration thing that went on. And many people became followers of Yahweh. They became Jews because of the witness and the life of Mordecai. And he is now remembered ever since. Chapter 9 tells about the institution of this annual celebration of Purim when the story, including the story of Mordecai and Esther, is told. And there's one little sweet part that is decreed by Mordecai himself that in addition to celebrating and giving each other gifts of celebration of our being protected by God, that we would give gifts to the poor. What a great legacy he has. 
Now, as I think of that, a legacy, I think about a pastor friend of mine and his wife, DeWolf and Kitty. They lived over here in Princeton in their retirement. And they had a good life as pastor and pastor's wife, but I gotta say that most of the churches they served in never would make any kind of headlines and so on. They were just good people. There was one church they served in, however, in Charleston, South Carolina. When they were called to go down there, they found out that the congregation was segregated. And so they began to push that that would not be the case. And eventually they got pushed out. And I think that's a great legacy, that they were booted by a church that was practicing segregation at that time back in the 1950s. But then they came up here and they retired. But it's in their retirement that their legacy was just was written down. Because countless people like me and Hallie would go to see them about once every month and just talk to them about what was going on in our lives and in our churches. And I remember that they would, you know, stroke their little chins and go, mmm, 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 that's good, that's good. And, and they would just say good things to us, good words. They'd encourage us. They'd give us a little direction or correction. They'd pray for us. Oh, my God, we were so happy. And there are so many people that I know whose lives were impacted by those people. When we get to heaven, we're just going to say, thank you so much for being in your little house in Princeton and welcoming us as you did. So Mordecai is the good mentor, and he's not alone. There's so many other stories in the Bible of people who mentor other people. There's Naomi to Ruth, which we heard about last week. There's Moses to Joshua. There's Elizabeth to Mary, as we'll hear about in a moment. There was Barnabas, who mentored Paul, who mentored Timothy. Many, many more. And perhaps there are stories that you can tell of these people in your life. And what I want you to hear today is this. This could be you not only benefiting from a mentor in your life, but being a mentor in the life of somebody else or perhaps several somebody else's. Anyone here who has been faithfully following Jesus Christ for some months or some years, you are qualified to be a mentor. You can serve as a guide and encouragement to somebody else and you also deserve to have somebody doing that for you along the way. Now, you know what? That's the genius of the recovery movement. Any of you who are in the recovery movement, AA or the various kinds of derivatives, you know that there's a plan that once you begin to come into the movement and you begin to develop sobriety, not only in terms of the fact you're no longer using, but you're beginning to develop a sober way of life, pretty soon thereafter you're encouraged and directed to become a mentor. In AA language, you're encouraged to be a sponsor to somebody else who's just starting out. And in that regard, you will literally be part of a program that saves their life. Now, you know where that program came from? It came from the church. But the genius of the, uh, those who put that together was that it be given to the world. And it has saved countless lives. But it came from the church. That's the genius of God, that we are to be mentors of others who come along, either those who don't know the Lord or those who've known the Lord perhaps not as long as we have and that we bring them along and we save their lives and the lives of their children and the lives of their grandchildren. That's what I want you to consider. It's been my privilege to be mentor to a number of people if I've gone through my life, even as I have had the privilege of receiving a mentor. Being a mentor is really quite simple, yet it's powerful. Like Mordecai, a good mentor is simply a good man or woman or child. A good mentor is somebody who is a godly person who encourages another person in the Lord. And that person has a great legacy. 
children or grandchildren. Let's take a look at that just for a moment. Good member, mentor, in, in our sense, is just a good person who is steeped in the life of God. A man or a woman, or yes, even a child, can be a mentor to somebody who's coming after him or her. The first thing they do is they let the word of God mentor them. They let the word of God dwell in them richly because the Second Timothy 3 says that all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful for salvation and it's useful for teaching us and rebuking us and correcting us and training us in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work. The word of God has a mentoring function. It guides and directs us by the precepts that are in it and by the examples of the people that have gone before us, both positive and negative. A good mentor is also someone who is being mentored by the Holy Spirit that is within them. John 16, 13 says that Jesus says, I will give you another advocate, even the Holy Spirit. He will be in you to guide you into all the truth and to tell you what is to come. Somebody that you're looking for is somebody uh, who is receiving the inward witness and direction of the Holy Spirit, also of the Word of God. And a good mentor is somebody who is also letting Jesus be their mentor. 1 Peter 2.21 says that Christ left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Now there was a whole movement a number of years ago that was dedicated to that, had the four letters WWJD. What would Jesus do, we ask in this situation? Whether it be at work or at school or in your family or in the neighborhood or where you shop, what would Jesus do in this checkout line? How would he act and how would he behave? Or maybe even a better question, Jesus, what would you have me do in this situation? Because he knows how to live in the 21st century just as he knew how to live in the 1st century. So these are things that are part of being a good mentor. And as you pursue this kind of good life in the Lord, you become a little like Peter and John as recorded in the book of Acts when even those who oppose them were able to recognize that these guys, they've been with Jesus. We can tell because we see his character and we see his life being lived out through them. That can apply to you. Even though you say to yourself, I don't know my Bible very well. I've never been to Bible school. I don't know what you do. I, I don't do what you do. I don't stand up and preach to people and consider yourself blessed that that's not what you have to do. But in any event, you may be just like these two guys. They were ordinary. In their own eyes, they thought of themselves as uneducated. But look at what they did. Look at what they did. That could be you. A good mentor is also a godly mentor, encourages others in God. There are people whom other people seek out because of their good life and because there's something about God in them. We have a story of that in Luke chapter 1 and verse 39 where Mary, just after she is told that she's pregnant with the Son of God, what does she do? She leaves Nazareth and goes to where her cousin Elizabeth is hanging out, an older woman who also has a kind of a strange pregnancy, and that she's bearing John, who would later be called John the Baptizer. Mary goes to visit Elizabeth because she's going to receive some encouragement from this older woman. How, how, how do we do this thing? And it was there in the presence of her mentor, Elizabeth, that Mary was able to burst forth with that song of praise that's so beautiful, we call it the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord for what the Spirit has done for his lowly handmaiden. So they, they are people who are sought out. 
They are also themselves being mentored in relationships they have with others and particularly perhaps in a small group. Now, this church has life groups and these are opportunities for us to be mentored in the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says that we're to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. That's what we can be doing, mentoring each other. And a, a good and godly mentor also passes along what God has given to them. You know, as you and I sit here week after week and we receive good teaching and encouragement from this platform, I hope you realize this isn't just for you to kind of take into your life and kind of that makes you feel good or whatever it does for you uh, or you put it on the shelf. It, it's meant to be something that you can carry with you and that perhaps you can pass along. Can I give you an example? There's a guy who was in one of my churches who couldn't read. He worked in an auto shop. He ran an auto shop. He had a woman that he worked with who basically managed all of the reading that he couldn't do, and he kept it secret. But you know what he would do? He would listen to my message, and then he would go to work on Monday, and he would gather all his employees, and he would preach them by message, by memory. He, didn't have, he couldn't read the Bible, couldn't do anything, but he would tell them to pass it along. That's what you're intended to do. 2 Timothy 2, 2 says this, Paul says to Timothy, entrust to reliable people what I have given to you, people who will then pass it along to others. See, there's three generations, Paul to Timothy, and then passing it along to somebody else. You can find and be a good friend, but a godly friend, a soul friend, a mentor like this is worth looking for, and it's also worth seeking to become. And if you can be and do that for someone young, you can change a life forever. And a good mentor has a great legacy in the lives influence. You can influence the next generation and the generation after that with the 2 Timothy 2-2 thing going from one generation to another. You can even help transform your community. Acts 2.47 that we saw says that they were held in high esteem by all the people. It was that kind of life that actually transformed the Roman Empire. It was the quality of the life of the people of God. It wasn't their preaching and teaching. It was the way they lived their lives that ultimately led the Roman Empire to become followers of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, you can pursue a life that is destined for glory. We all want to hear these words from Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. And it can be just in something as simple as this, of being a mentor. Now each of us wonders what our destiny is, particularly our destiny in the Lord. What does he want us to do? I hope you have more in mind with God than just you're going to live your life, you're going to die, and you're going to go to heaven. That is a shrunken version of Christianity that unfortunately is preached and taught from many a pulpit. No, God has plans for you now in the in-between time, before the grave and after you come out of the womb. He has a whole plan for you, and I bet you it involves a plan with other people. Now, some of us here have hair that is at least as gray as mine. Some of you don't have any hair. But in any event, if you have never mentored someone, I think you've missed part of the legacy of your life. And I want to say, get to work. Be looking for people you can encourage. You know, these days, I, I try not to be the old guy who comes with all the advice, you know, the finger wag old guy. Oh, my God. Lord, have mercy. Deliver us from men like that. I want to be the guy who comes up and says, add a boy, add a girl. Good for you. Good for you. To, to perhaps open up the possibility of a relationship where 
maybe there can be some influence both ways because I'm so impressed. I love being part of this church because there's a generation here of people way younger than me who are full of faith and life and encouragement. They've got great ideas. They're going to take a world that my generation is really largely wrecked and I want to encourage them and I'm grateful that they're around. That's one of the things that's great about being part of the journey. So again, what you need to hear is this. This mentoring thing applies to you. It applies to you. You can't say, no, that's for somebody else. No, it's not. It's for you. Having a mentor, being a mentor to others has always been an essential part pursuing a life with God. And it needs to become an essential part of your life and mine in Christ today. Now, the prime mentor is obviously Jesus. His life here among us, his ongoing prayer for us at the throne, his sending the Holy Spirit to live inside of us is mentoring us right now. It's shaping you. It's saying to you, my life can have purpose and meaning in the life of another human being. Let's read about that from his statement as recorded in John chapter 15, 15. Would you read this with me? Jesus is saying to us, I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. For everything I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Isn't that amazing? Everything I've learned from my Father, Jesus says, I've made known to you, he says to his disciples. And that means they passed it along to somebody else, and they passed it along to somebody else, and now the Word of God is passing it along to you. Everything that Jesus has received from the Father is given to us, and he's wanting us to receive it. But as we look at that verse, let's realize that Jesus has sent people to us along the way. Members of his who will remind us that Jesus doesn't call us servants, he calls us friends. Members of his who have taught us everything that Jesus has learned from the Father, who've passed that along for us. Let's just take a moment right now to remember those people because they're the great people in your life. They're the people, maybe they're in heaven now. Maybe they're out of your life at this point. But wouldn't they be pleased to know what influence you've had in their life and, and, and that you're grateful for them. Let's take a moment just to remember them. Lord, I, I'm just so grateful for these people that you brought to mind who you sent to us and we're so, we're, we're so blessed that they're in our life or were in our life. But then let's just recall that in the very next verse, Jesus is going to encourage us to do the same, to, so to speak, pass it along, and part of that will be to be a mentor. Let's read of his statement of that in verse 16 together. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that were last. Now, somehow we've gotten a little bit hung up on that word go as if we're supposed to go to some foreign place or we'll go to some situation, and that may be true. God may send us into some amazing places, but the reality is that just as you're going around, you're going to be in touch with people, and you already perhaps have some ideas of who those people might be in your life that you can encourage in the Lord, who you can be a soul friend to, a Jesus friend to, a mentor to, Let's take a moment now to just ask if there might be people that come to your mind that the Holy Spirit impresses upon you right now that you can encourage in the Lord. Let's take a moment for that. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have impressed a name or two upon us.
I pray you'd give us grace and courage uh, to find a way just to kind of draw near to that person uh, in the way in which we've seen here. And then one last thing. As we do so, I hope that we can join with Paul who said this amazing thing in Philippians 4, 9. Let's say this together. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. That's an amazing statement. And Paul called himself the worst of sinners, so it wasn't that he was perfect. But nonetheless, he wanted his life to be an open book, wanted to be the kind of guy that people would get up and follow. I hope that will be your uh, prayer, your statement that you could say to another person, well, I, I can tell you a few things, but I can also just say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Now, the day before yesterday, I heard a great story. I heard a story of a guy named Gerald Hodges. He's a high school swimmer for the Seguin High School in Arlington, Texas. He's a freshman. Now, his team was so bad that success was measured in just being able to have every race finished and not getting disqualified because the swimmer couldn't finish the race. And for Gerald, joining the team, success meant that he would learn how to swim. Yeah, that's right. They chose a guy who didn't know how to swim because they just needed to have a warm body to fill out the roster so that they could attend the meet. Now, it wasn't that Gerald wasn't a good athlete. He was a great athlete. He is a great athlete. Great athlete in basketball, baseball, and also football. But he chose to join the swim team, not because he wanted to learn how to swim, but because in his own words, listen to this, I felt like if I couldn't handle not being good at something, then how could I consider myself a successful human being? Isn't that amazing? I I felt like if I couldn't handle not being good at something, then how could I consider myself a successful human being? So eventually, Gerald learned how not to drown, and then he learned how to finish the race, even though when he finished, everybody else was out of the pool and they were telling themselves off. But he was learning how to deal with weakness, which is a great virtue that Jesus shows us how to do. The weakness of sin, the weakness of the struggle, the place in our life where things aren't going well. He learned how to handle not being good at something and how to get a little better, however, in the process. Not so he could become a successful swimmer, but so that he'd become a good human being and a great guy. And so the story ends that when Gerald dove into the pool for the final 50-yard leg of the final 200-yard medley relay of the season, no one was surprised that Gerald's team, the Seguins, were, they were in last place. But to the surprise of everybody in his lap down and lap back, including Gerald when he finished, they'd won that race. There's an extra drive that develops sometimes deep within people who realize that they're not what they should be at something, and they say, I'm not going to let this put me away. I'm going to actually go, go for it and work at it and deal with not being good, but deal with trying to get better. And you know what? If I were the coach of that team, you know what I'd do right away? I'd make him one of my captains because I'd want that guy to be a mentor to my team. And the great thing about sports, organized sports, is, yeah, it's, it's about the game, but it's about what happens to the people. And to have a guy like that who is serving as a mentor would be amazing. 
you can do the same thing. Even if you feel like you're weak in the faith, you don't know what you should know, you feel like you're swimming and maybe you're drowning a little bit, but I hope that today God will put a fire into you to say, let's step it up for the Lord. Let's learn how to finish the race, to swim the race of life, and to share what we've learned with others. Let's pray. So God, we are so grateful for the people that you no doubt have sent to each one of us. None of us here has been bereft. But God, if we push those people out of our life, I pray that we'd invite them back into our life. And if we've never gotten the message that this mentoring thing, this passing it along is, is coming to us, I pray that today we would pick it up. We'd step it up for you and that you would show us the people that we can just be around in such a way that when they get through their life, they would say, thank you, Lord, that that man, that woman, that child was a mentor to me. Amen.